Hey there, educational rock stars. Are you feeling overwhelmed with lesson planning for your English language learners? Well, I've got some exciting news for you. Introducing our upcoming free webinar, Simplify Your Approach, Three Time-Saving Routines for ELL Success. Join me for a power-packed 45 minutes that's set to revolutionize your teaching strategy. In this webinar, we'll dive into three practical, easy-to-implement routines that will not only enhance your ELL teaching methods, but also save you hours of planning time. Yes, hours. So whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, these insights are tailored to help everyone make the most of their teaching time. Plus, you'll leave this webinar ready to implement these routines the next day. So mark your calendars for our two upcoming dates. I don't want you to miss this opportunity to transform your ELL lesson planning. To reserve your spot, simply sign up at www.equippingells.com slash routines. Trust me, your future self will thank you for it. I'll see you at the webinar. Teaching ELL students is a privilege and a joy. Is it easy? No way. But with the right support, you can feel empowered to tackle each day with ease and confidence. I'm your host, Beth Boucher, founder of Inspiring Young Learners. With over 10 years of teaching both nationally and internationally, I know what it takes to ensure that your ELL students have what they need to thrive today, tomorrow, and for life. I'm on a mission to empower you to equip your English language learners. Welcome to Equipping ELLs. Let's get to today's episode. You're listening to another episode of the Equipping ELLs podcast. I am so excited to begin a new series for the month of June, where I am welcoming an author each week onto the show for them to share about their passion and their book with you. I hope this will inspire you and give you some great resources to check out while you are lounging by the pool or taking a walk on these beautiful summer nights. Also, for each episode, I'll be giving away a copy of that author's book. All you have to do to enter is to leave a review on an Equipping ELLs episode. Your reviews help more teachers find this podcast, so it really means so much to me when you take a few minutes to let me know how this podcast has helped you. We are starting out the series with someone who, if you are not familiar with her story, you need to seriously stop what you are doing right now and go read her book, or maybe after the episode. <laughs> Today's guest is Emily Francis. Emily is a nationally recognized English as a second language teacher at Concord High School in Concord, North Carolina. She serves students in 9th through 12th grade with various English proficiency levels, and she is a native Spanish speaker who is originally from Guatemala and came to the U.S. as an unaccompanied minor. You can hear all about this in her story. Her experience as an English language learner inspired her to become an ESL teacher and affords her a deep understanding of the challenges her students must overcome to find success. She has a BA in Spanish and MAT in ESL from UNC Charlotte. She serves as a professional development facilitator, motivational speaker, and keynote. She's part of the executive board for the Carolinas TESOL, and she is the author of If You Only Knew, Letters from an Immigrant Teacher. In 2016, she was a teacher liaison to the Cabarrus County Board of Education as Teacher of the Year. As a leader, Emily's focus is to inspire students to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more. 
Emily has so much experience to share with us today, so I can't wait for you to listen to our interview. And make sure to go and check out her book, If You Only Knew, Letters from an Immigrant Teacher. Welcome, Emily. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I am absolutely thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much. It's always an honor. Thank you. <laughs> you have recently come out with a book that I I wanted to have you on before this book. And then after I was like, you have to come on the show. I need to talk to you about this because there are, I, I think I've underlined the entire book. Um, <laughs> and I just really feel passionate that every teacher out there needs to get their hands on this book and read it to really get insight into ways that we can really help support our students. Um, it's just such a beautiful testimony of your story and all that you've overcome is so incredible. You're such an inspiration. Um, and just the way you love your students is really beautiful. So it's called, if you only knew letters from an immigrant teacher by Emily Francis, we'll put that in the show notes. So teachers listening, go grab this. This is an, I must read. Um, so I cannot wait to dive in and talk to you more about this book and just about your story. So why don't you just give us a little bit about you? Well, thank you. First of all, thank you for making time for the book, for reading it and using this platform to share how important this book is. It means a lot to me that that you would make your time to read it and, and you work with the population that I work with. And we know the need out there for teachers to get a hold of this book and yes. read it. And, and it's all about my story. But what I love about the book that it's not just about my immigrant experience, but it is intertwined with eight former students of mine. So as you read my story, how I immigrated from Guatemala, I lived in Guatemala for 15 years. I came here as an unaccompanied minor and my mother brought me here along with my siblings and my experience as an English language learner just was very difficult here for me in the U.S. And so I work with students who right now are experiencing the same thing that I experienced. And that's how the book came to be. It's, it's, we wanted to share my story, which I'm grateful for that opportunity. But in the end, it's not just me. I'm one of billions yeah, of students yeah. sitting in a classroom experiencing what it is to be sitting there not knowing the language, but at the same time, you have so much passion to come something to get out of those family cycles. And so I'm hoping the book will shine light on those needs. Oh, absolutely. And that's, and that's why I really cannot emphasize enough. Go read this book, please. I mean, schools have everybody in your, every staff member read this. Um, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful story. And the way it's written, I really loved the way that you wrote to your students and shared your story in that process and related to them. We know this and anyone who is familiar with working with English language learners, making that relationship and making that safe space is the first place to begin. And you've really just shown that the beauty of that throughout this entire book. So thank yes. you. Thank you for doing that. And I want to dive in with that specific question of, you know, this book just, just overwhelmingly shows your beautiful relationship in knowing your students. You really can see how much time you spend on the relationship part of knowing your students. So what advice do you have for teachers to just encouraging them to make that a priority? Because we know in the U.S. school system, there's so much emphasis placed on the academics and the testing. And, you know, as you read your story, you can see how that there were so many setbacks you had because of the educational institution of how it, things are done. And, 
you know, a lot of the students are similar to you were then, but they, they might give up on the way and, and thank goodness you kept, you kept going. And, and that's such an, an incredible testimony that you have. And so what would you say to teachers who are just, they want to make that relationship a priority, but they're, they're really feeling that tug of academic, academic, they're behind. We need to p- get them going and, you know, all of that, that you see. You know, the word relationship and again, relationships matter, are important, are needed, but we throw that word out there so much that sometimes we just numbed ourselves to that word. And I, as an adult and having come out of the school system and accomplished, you know, what I've accomplished, I came to realize that beyond relationships, there needs to be connections. Mm. We need to connect with students. I would have, I, I longed to to have somebody who can sit down and look at me eye to eye and say, tell me a story. Tell me where you're from. Tell me what happened when you were little. Even as an adult, I love sharing my story. And then I love for that person who is listening to say, hey, I was once in Mexico. I was once in Guatemala. And then that conversation starts because there is something that connects us as human beings. And when I was sitting in the classroom as a 15-year-old, I've already lived 15 years of my life. I wasn't starting fresh. I had already experienced so much more than my teachers have experienced. And I would have loved for that teacher, for any teacher to make some type of connection with Mm -hmm. my experiences going beyond relationships because I had teachers who will stand at the door, smile, say hello. And and I mean, I felt welcome somewhat. Yeah. ever connected with any of them. And one huge example is my economics teacher. And I share that in the book. I was learning economics. I was learning about supply and demand. That was a content. But at the same time, I have lived it. I knew what it was to supply and to demand for my family. And and I could have shared that with my peers and my 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 teacher, but if she would have known, if she would have asked about my experiences, she would have said, hey, let's give Emily a chair because she has something to share. And so again, when my students step into my classroom, I have students who have been in refugee camps. I've never been in a refugee camp, Mm -hmm. but I want to hear the stories because just like my story is different, there are similarities. You would left family behind. We disconnected from our families for a better life in the U.S. And there, there is something that the student can look and say, that teacher has something like me, whatever that is. But you you won't know that until you make time to get to know that student. So my huge advice is, yes, create relationships. Mm-hmm. Yes, stand at the door and say hello. But ask questions and find something that connects you with that student because they're longing to have that human connection with teachers. Absolutely. I I love that. I think all teachers, we know relationships have to be the priority, but I love that taking that, that step further. And it's really about connections. I mean, any of us have a story of the teachers that we remember are the teachers that we connected with. You know, there's so many teachers we've had that we have no memories from because there wasn't that connection. And so I think that that is such a powerful point to hit on. For some of us, it might mean getting uncomfortable if we're like, how do I don't know where we can connect. But it, like you said, it's it's that asking questions. It's taking the time to listen and learn their stories. I loved I'm going to read a little bit of this part here. 
right at the beginning on page 14, you just talk about one of your students and you said, the first time I saw you, I didn't know how difficult your experiences were. And I wasn't sure how far to push and how much to ask without hurting you. But I wanted you to know that I cared about what you'd been through. So I shared my story with you and your classmates. And we talked about other people in our books and in the real world who experienced the same things. You started opening up a little bit, which allowed me to get to know you enough to begin putting the puzzle together piece by piece. And to me, that was such a strong point that you made because, you know, for for teachers, if they haven't had experiences of the students that they're working, if they haven't had those similar experiences, they might feel uncomfortable to be making those connections or know how to make those connections. And so I felt like that paragraph right there just said it. You know, we don't want to push students. We don't know if we're receiving Mm -hmm. refugee students, what they feel comfortable sharing, what's going to be really traumatic for them to share that it's not, it's not the time or place. So I think there's a lot that teachers are just not sure of how to maneuver in this relationship. And so I love that you started with you sharing your story, other Mm -hmm. students being comfortable to share their story, building that connections within the classroom, using diverse literature where they're seeing, you know, supply and demand in a market in Guatemala, you would have raised your hand and said, I I know that. Let me share about this. But when you don't see those pictures and storybooks in the classroom, that's why those things are so important. Yeah. So especially for teachers who have not walked their students, you know, paths and they don't know what it is to cross deserts to to come here or be separated from family and leave everything behind, you know, that moment when you're told to pack up your bag and leave your, you just take your essentials and leave everything behind. It's, it, it hits you really hard. And because you have never experienced anything like this, literature can really provide that opportunity for you to touch that student's heart and, and to give that student the opportunity to heal. Because just as hard as it is to come out of any situation, as soon as you read that in the in, in the text, there's there's some I don't it's not magic. I don't want to call it magic, but <laughs> and explain it. It's just it hits you so good. It's like cool water. It's refreshing to see wow, there is a character that walked three borders. There is a character that was separated from their mother. And so a teacher can really provide those opportunities for students to to again heal and as a teacher you begin to observe oh that's what happened to him or that's what happened to her and put those pieces together because and then I haven't experienced what uh, the character was experiencing but I had some idea but as the student was reading and reflecting his own experiences I was like oh that's what happened to him. And so it's important to make sure that we have books that um, are reflecting our students' experiences. And really the only way to know what books to have is to ask questions. Like I do an I am poem, like I am beans, I am tamales. Oh, okay. That student needs tamales. I may have a book about tamales, you know, any activity that can just drain out of your student's something that can that we can run to the bookshelf and say do I have any books like that because if I don't it is my job Absolutely. to those books yes and thank goodness you know we're we're seeing more and more books come out that are telling the stories of so many different yes. cultures and journeys and it's it's just so exciting to see the different stories that are being told so that's really an easy thing on our part to be able, we just have to have open ears and eyes to go and see, okay, let me, let me pull up this book. And I love that just an easy starting place is 
bringing those books in, having those, you know, making those stories available and seeing how your students respond. And I think, you know, in traumatic events, many maybe shy away from that. I'm, I'm taught more lower elementary. So it's like, oh, they're not ready to handle that. But at the same time, like you're saying, they want to talk about, they need to process what's happened in a safe place, you know? And so even if they don't verbally process it in the classroom, knowing that the -hmm. teacher knows and is, and is interested and is here to help me. And just for them to know that, that someone's connecting to them on what they've been through, I think, like you're saying, is kind of like this magic, this this balm to the soul of of healing, at least to start the process. And we're helping with the building of humanity. I think as human beings, we're developing our own identity. We're developing our own self. Yeah. And when I'm sitting in the classroom, not confused, but I know I'm part of two cultures, I'm part of two languages. When a teacher provides diverse literature that is reflecting my experiences, I begin to put in myself those pieces of identity. But if I only see, for example, one, you know, whiteness, for example, and there's nothing that reflects my black beans, my tamales, my tortillas, my cascarones, you know, then I start putting that away because nothing is reaffirming that part of my identity. And so it happened. It happened to me. And it, I had to be an adult for me to realize, hey, I need to pull that out. I need to make sure that it's not hidden away. So let's not hinder our students with having them build one identity that is not what it should be. This is really an area as teachers, we need to be reflecting of the materials that we're using and the resources that we're providing to see are our students resembled in this? Are they be are they able to connect to what we're we're doing right now? Yeah, like in math, I mean, instead of five apples, why are we not using five piñatas? You yeah, know? oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, as long Absolutely. as the student will see something that yes. reflects them, it doesn't matter the topic, the subject, as long as they see something, we're contributing to their identity for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So there is another part that I want to hit on where you talked about, let me say. So it says, to this day, I wish I had been given opportunities to share my passions. I was so good at public speaking and giving presentations, but I was never given a chance to shine simply because I didn't speak English. Mm-hmm. And then you you speak more about that. And I thought that, you know, that is so how so how do we as educators, especially if we are not able to speak the same language as, you know, the mm-hmm. students that we're working with, how would you encourage educators to help find the strengths and gifts of their students to help them shine, because that is so important. And it's, you know, but sometimes it can be difficult if we don't speak the same language as our students and knowing where to begin. Yeah, I mean, I mean, dual language immersion programs is growing. It's like booming right now everywhere. So coming to a place where teachers are uncomfortable using the language is very few teachers. So it's, it's <laughs> no, you know, it used to be a, a time where that was like, what dual language? What? What yes. is that? Now it's like everybody knows about it, but we're not there yet where teachers will just turn around and it's okay for that table to be sharing in Spanish. It's okay for that table to be sharing in Indian, you know, any language. It's okay. You know, I've watched it myself in Germany where the teacher turned around and there were four different tables, four different languages. And the teacher didn't speak all four languages, but it was okay for the students. You build a culture. What I tell my teachers is, you don't understand what they're saying. And they could be talking about you, (laughs) but you need to start building a culture of trust. 
and absolutely. say, I trust that you are going to be using your home language to be, be on task, to answer the questions, you know, keep them accountable. Are they really providing material that makes sense? Because if not, they're using home language to just chit chat. I've seen it. It happens. But if the teacher builds that culture where home language is, it's okay to, for students to write, to read. My students, all oh, they all read and they all write in home language. But and then I quickly teach them how to translate it the way they produce a language work for the teachers. But as long as the teacher is okay for them doing that, I think the teacher can see the potential behind the student. I turned in so many papers in white just because I was never even given the authorization to say, yeah, go ahead and use your home language. I never received that green light. So I always felt forced to, if I can't do it in English, then I can't do it at all. Mm-hmm. And as long as students know you have the opportunity, go ahead and go, you have a partner, he's bilingual, he can help you talk to to him in Spanish and just have them have students feel comfortable with that. I have a teacher who allowed presentations in Arabic because students didn't have the language yet, but these students are brilliant. Their research was fantastic. We weren't going to take that away just because they couldn't do the presentation in English. So what we did is we recorded it, everything they shared and and then we transcribed everything for the teacher to make sure that what they were sharing was accurate information. Yeah. But the kids were just 10 minutes just talking and talking in Arabic and everybody looking at each other. The culture in the classroom was beautiful to see all these monolingual English speakers watching two kids just non-stopping versus monolingual English speakers who were reading their slides, you know, it was just yeah. cool to see that. And so be comfortable allowing students use home languages. And, you know, like one of my students, the first student in the book, mm-hmm. I didn't even worry about whether he can read or write. I asked him, what are you passionate about? Mm-hmm. It's it, it's tapping into that one thing that, that they love doing. He loves kicking the ball for soccer. Yeah. And then he became our soccer star. But and then also we were keeping him accountable with language and content. So we started with what was he good at? And then we threw in the content and language and the system works yes. that system works when the student notices that he matters that he has a place that you see him that you hear him okay give me that homework I'll do it yes. <laughs> they have that motivation to do what you ask them to do and really I have the authority to claim work from him because I already showed him that I care Absolutely. Some teachers really are handing that. Like I had my math teacher, it's on my book. You know, his mm-hmm. hand was in front of my face every day. Where's your work? Where's your work? He didn't even know how to pronounce my name. Wow. You yeah. know, so we can't, we cannot start. And believe me, I get paid to be a teacher. I get my paycheck every month and I'm uh, I'm I'm hired to teach. But if I start with content and language first before making those connections. I'm doing it all wrong. Yes. I mean, what you were sharing, it made me think of, I had a a friend on the podcast a couple episodes ago talking about translanguaging and she was sharing that, you know, she works at an international school here in Panama. We work together and the same, the same type of thing happened where she had a student who was just disengaged because he was brilliant in Portuguese and just 
it was so much on him to now be feeling like I know nothing. I can't, you know, compare. And so she said, as soon as she started incorporating activities where he could use Portuguese, he lit up. I mean, his engagement levels went through the roof. He was doing the homework. The mom all of a sudden was like, what is happening? Why, you know, great. And and so I love what you said though, because I think the pushback I hear from a lot of teachers is, well, I don't speak a language. So how do I know what they're saying? But that's exactly it. Start with that place of trust. Isn't it better to take that risk and let them explore using their native language than say, well, I don't know what they're saying. So they might be off task and shutting it down, you know? So I think we need to think about that as educators. What are we fearing more that this could happen? And then you, you, you know, you usually can tell if kids are off task by their, their body language. So (laughs) bring them back. But it's so powerful, like you're saying, finding that what's they're passionate about, what what lights them up, what's going to keep them engaged, because then those other things, they're going to they're going to be able to work on those. You know, they're going to want to work for you when they know that that's where the relationship begins. That's right. That's right. I wanted to talk a little bit and I didn't even share this in this in the speaking notes, but, you know, you have overcome so many things and it truly is just remarkable as you, you know, had setbacks and you just kept going forward. And so towards the end of the book, you're sharing about how you finally learned to have a voice, you know, and I thought that this was just so powerful. You said, I learned something important that I hadn't known when I was in high school. There are always other options and you can find them if you know how to speak up for yourself. And I think that that as educators, we need to see the value and the importance of us taking the time to teach our second language, third language, you know, multilingual learners, you have a voice, you have options here, you have opportunities. I think many people, at least from that I've spoken to, you know, here in Panama and Latin America, they see the U.S. as a place that there's opportunities. Um, I think that that's a pretty strong sentiment. And that's why many people want to go to get opportunities. But I think like your story, you know, when you got there, it was a lot of setbacks, a lot of people who in the education system were not helping. We're not taking even just a couple minutes to say, Hey, here's an opportunity. You could do your GED. Um, so I guess my question is, what do you, what do you feel like educators should do so that they can encourage their multilingual learners to know their, their options, to know the opportunities they have available to speak up, to share their voices and with parents as well, you know, really helping the parents of multilingual learners to say, Hey, you have, you have a voice here. You have opportunities that you can help your students with. A lot has to do with the culture. You know, I'm speaking for the Latinx culture that uh, you see educators or anyone in the school system high above you, like they're in a pedestal. So anything they say, anything they tell you, you respect that, you honor them. Our parents will do anything the teacher will say they have to do because this such is looked down upon such so high higher profession. And so when when the teachers will say something that the student is taught to just keep it to themselves and don't mm-hmm. hold it. But it comes a point when that can hinder you from knocking on certain doors that the door is there, but you're not voicing it. One huge example I'm going to give you is very little example. But just today I was having lunch in a room where students will go in and use, they give them 
golden tickets and they're kind of like dollars so they can go in and shop whatever they want you know okay. chips water whatever and the teacher who was at the door says oh I'm sorry we're closed until next no two weeks and there were ELL students there were three of them and they were at the door and he goes oh okay but and then he turns around he goes wait a minute you know, I was taking the access test and I was not in the lunchroom. So I didn't have a chance to come here. Mm. And the lady turns around and looks at me and I say, it's true. He missed his lunchtime. He missed the opportunity to come shop because he was with me. I almost like cried. I'm going to cry right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. Because as soon as he had the chance to shop and go I looked at that teacher and I told her you have no idea how powerful this is yeah this kid could have turned around matter of fact you turned him around mm-hmm. he left he turned around and he had the guts to yeah. say I have the right to shop <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that that we were just chatting there how we want our students to have that power to say Give me my right for my education. Mm -hmm. Give me what I deserve, not in a demanding way, but in a way that they know that they deserve where they are. But they don't feel like that until they know that they matter. He knows that that teacher that was standing at the door and myself, we both care so much for them. So they do feel comfortable to share something. Education, like I said in my book, really gives you that power to say give me what I am here for. Like when I showed up at the university, they didn't want to enroll me because I didn't have high school transcript. But I said, I have an associate's degree from a community college. So here is my application. You're going to take it. Yeah. But I would have never had the guts to say that if it wasn't because education has started giving me that boost, that self-worth that I deserve what I was there for. And so really... Open your ears. Just listen. Listen to students. They are voicing, whether it's written or whether it's spoken, they are speaking. And really, in order for you to provide resources for students, you you don't know what resources to provide if you don't know what the need is. Mm. So a guidance counselor didn't call me, a principal didn't call me, my ESL didn't call me, a ESL teacher, maybe because they didn't know I had decided to drop out. But if they would have called me and I would have told them, I'm not coming back because I'm not doing that test. If you don't know the need, you don't know what resources to look for to provide for your students. So as much as I blame them for not calling me and not providing me resources, they didn't know I needed to know about the GED because they didn't know what my situation was in the moment. So try to ask questions. Invite I, I invite parents. I have a WhatsApp list and they come to school. What are your needs? What do you want from us? Because we have social workers. We have people. But we don't know who to give it to until yeah. you tell us what your needs are. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, keep your ears open and ask, ask questions. Don't assume, stop yes, assuming. Yes. I'd rather you ask me than you assume that I'm Mexican. You know, my students, like the ones I don't know, and I show up in a classroom, are you Mexican? You know, I'd rather you ask me so I can tell you, no, I'm not. I'm yeah. Guatemalan, but don't assume just because you see the hair, you know, or the color of my skin. And, and the same thing with our students' needs. Don't assume that they have shoes. Don't assume that they have food. Ask. 
Mm-hmm. Worst thing I can tell you is no, mind your own business. Oh, <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I've been told that, believe me. Or I've been told, uh, I speak English. I don't need a translator. Okay. At least I asked, you know, yeah. I can put my head on my pillow and sleep and say, I tried. Yeah. I don't want to put my head on the pillow and say, I should have done that. And I didn't. Yeah. I want to put my head on the pillow and said, I asked, I tried, I gave. If it's not needed, it's fine. Absolutely. I love, I love that attitude too. I love your passion. This is, you need to just like go around the country and put a spark in all of us because it's I tried, so but I got to be in the classroom too. I, I know, I know your students yeah. need you too. Oh no, I can't. That's just, you know, walking in those classrooms and helping them solve problems or whatever. That's where, Absolutely. that's where my fire is. Yeah. I can, I can tell. I love that. So do you, I mean, and that's I, just going back to that point, you know, it only takes one teacher to see the needs that that student has. And and like your experience, if, if one, if the ESL teacher or the principal or the guidance counselor, if one would have reached out to you, yeah. it could have changed for years, you know, the trajectory. And, and thankfully, you know, it all, it worked out and you were able to get it, um, your college degree later on. But it, yeah, just to think that that one, if one teacher would have noticed and and taken a few minutes out of the day, what different path it could have been. Um, right. They know that we all have a choice. Like I have students who have dropped out. I reached out and I said, go to this school, go to this place, do this. The options are here. Yeah. But we all build our own identity. You can't shove it down my throat. I make the decisions. Like I have students who have to drop out because they have to help their families. As yeah. much as I want them to go to college, they want to work. And it's their their decision what to do with their life. As long as you have provided all those opportunities there, um, that should make you feel good about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love, and that's, I mean, we have to be able to just provide the options and then release that. And, you know, I'm sure as you've seen people come back around and, and later on, maybe they're ready for it. We don't know the situations that each student is in, but just giving them the options that are available is, is really what we can do. So, oh, this is, there's just so much I want to keep talking about, but we, I don't want to take up all your time, but I would love for you to share if you have any organizations or resources, websites, things that you can point teachers to so that they can learn maybe a little bit more about the situations that are happening in Central South America. You know, what's what's it like for children that are coming across the borders, things that we can do to help out, um, ways that we can welcome people into the U.S., anything like that, that you can help us get a better understanding. Yeah, one of my go-to organizations is Child Aid. As a matter of fact, we just did a, a fundraising, you know, when we released my book. I love this organization. It really highlights the need for in Guatemala and of course Central American countries. And so this organization collects, you know, the donations and then they bring not only food, but books and education for teachers to educate children. So this organization, if you follow them, they'll give you really, you haven't walked the shoes or walked those uh, experiences see what it is to to have to to sit there and not have anything to eat and you know expect the school to give you something to eat and then follow child a they are doing great things and um reimagining migration has a highlight on many other organizations that can 
high, you know, talks about refugees or, you know, uh, what it is to talk to students about the moving story. There's lessons for teachers. So those two organizations, I will say, look into them because they will help you when it comes to working with immigrant students. Oh, wonderful. Those those sound like amazing resources that we can all get behind and help support what they're doing. So Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Can you share where people can find you and and hear more about all the things you have to share and your passion? Oh my gosh, I'm everywhere. And all of these platforms, <laughs> of course, are all professionals. So Twitter is where you find me every second of my day if I'm not at work, of course. But Emily Fran ESL is my handle for Twitter. And I tweet a lot about what I do, about what I how I support teachers and how I support students. I do have an Instagram account as Mrs. Francis ESL class. And that one is mainly because that's how I connect with students. Mm -hmm. All of my students follow me there. And it's connected with my Facebook just because Instagram and Facebook are one. (laughs) There is a a, a Facebook page to it. All of those are professionals. Once in a while, I'm always sharing something personal. That's because I want you to know that as a teacher, I have a life. I do share personal things here and there, but I do like to share what I, what happens in the classroom, what I do um, in, in with teachers all across the country. And I blog. So every once a month, I, I blog something. So if you want to follow the blog, Inspiring English Language Learners, uh, Wibbly.com, um, you can see, you know, the work that I'm doing. And uh, and I love to, to connect with anyone who is hearing me today and email Emily Fran. 28027 at gmail.com. Email me and I'll try to respond. (laughs) Oh, you're so wonderful. We will put all those links in the show notes so people can click right and find you. So, I mean, if you are listening and you're feeling kind of burnt out and tired, go follow Emily and you're going to be so inspired. She's going to reignite your passion for what you're doing because it's making a difference. Reading your book, it really reminded me of the impact that educators have for good or for bad. And so let us really use our time to to really reach our students for the good. Well, thank you so much again. This has been such an honor to get to talk to you. And we're definitely going to put a link to your book in the show notes. And like I said, please whoever's listening, go grab it. Um, This is a great book club. I know a lot of of the listeners are ESL teachers and trying to find ways to connect with homeroom teachers and help them see the stories of their ELL students. And so this is an excellent way to just start those conversations. Thank you again, Emily. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Thank you for joining me in today's episode. All links and resources mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you're looking for even more support and done-for-you resources created specifically for the needs of ELLs, head to inspiringyounglearners.com. I'll catch you here next week. Until then, take that next step to keep equipping your ELLs.